I want to start off by saying um, it's still the new year, so happy new year to you all. If we've never met, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. And if we've met before, um, hi, it's me again. So good to see you all in the building and online. Super glad you guys are here. Now, uh, this is in fact the middle of a five-week series, which means we're in week three. And I kind of want to get you caught up to speed on um, where we've been in this series so far, because it's going to make sense. Well, you need to know it as as we keep going, right? The idea is rally. And so we're going to rally around five things this year. We're going to do more than five things, but we really want to focus on these themes. And here's the deal. Um, We've set goals in the past, and uh, over the last two years, if I've learned anything, it's that life changes like that. The goals that I set for 2020 um, got destroyed within three months, so they were no longer relevant for the world I lived in. So we thought, instead of having goals this year, let's have themes or areas of focus. And the idea is, regardless of what happens in the world, we're still going to focus and laser in on this. And if rules change, we're doing this. And if life changes, we're still doing this. And if something else changes, we're still doing this. You get the idea? That we're gonna do this regardless of external circumstances. And so um, that's kind of where we are. These are the five things we will rally or group and focus and excite and endeavor to do. So here's the first one that we did. Um, Week one, when we kicked this off, we said the first thing, regardless of what happens in our world, the ups, the downs, in-betweens, we're going to advance the gospel. I got one guy, and it's the senior pastor who said amen. <laughs> Kurt, great job, man. Also, parenthetically, um, if there's ever a port, uh, like a part, a port, a port? Part in the, sur- see, now the joke's gone. I can't even do it because I screwed it up. We're going to advance the gospel, whether I can speak or not. That's what we're going to do. Number two. This is the other thing that we talked about last week. We're going to grow in discipleship because the truth is this. Um, you and I, if we're going to advance the gospel, we got to get better. Yes. I, it, discipleship is not just biblical knowledge. It's also measured in faithfulness and obedience on our part. But in order to know what you need to be faithful and obedient in or what you need to do, you have to have biblical knowledge. Right? The idea is we're not just trying to get smarter to be smarter and more intellectual and know more about the Bible. We're, we're trying to usher in God's kingdom. We're trying to move this thing forward. We're trying to add as many people possible to the kingdom. So in order to do that, we need to grow in our discipleship. Now, before I give you the third one, um, because I don't want to give you the answer now, otherwise you'll, you'll leave and you'll log off online. Um, I want to start by asking a question, and it's a question that I ask every single year especially in the month of January. Um, I am one of those people, I do like setting themes or goals. Uh, I'm action oriented. I get anxious if, if I'm not doing anything. I, I constantly like moving forward. But at least one time a year, in the beginning of the year, I like to reflect on the last year. And then I also like to plan or at least dream of what this next year will be. So I ask this question, and I'm sure you've done this as well, but I go through a number of exercises, but I ask this, what do I do with the life God's given me? What do I do with it? And the answer to that question has changed throughout the years and decades of my life. Um, because my life has changed. I've learned more. I've had different experiences. I've had uh, a lot of successes and I've had a lot of failures and everything in between. And so that answer really changes a lot. What do I do with the life God's given me? Because if I'm honest, there's a lot of options and I don't have enough time to do all of them, but I have enough time to do the right ones and the most significant ones. And and I'm sure you've asked this question. Maybe you've asked this question a different way. Um, What is my purpose 
in life. Maybe you've asked it, um, you know, what on earth am I here for? What, what's the point of all this? What do I do? Uh, a lot of Christians will, will ask it this way because we believe um, Jesus is returning. We don't know when, but we believe he is. And so you might ask it this way. How should I live as I wait for Christ's return? But inevitably, we're asking this question, what, what do we do with this thing called life? This thing, you know, 80 plus years or whatever that we have on earth. What do we do with this thing? Do we just exist? and float down the river of life, if you will? Or are we supposed to be like super intentional and have every second of the day mapped out? And like, what, what do we do? And you've got type A personalities that are, you know, 100 miles an hour this way. And you got type B personalities that are like one mile an hour, maybe this way. <laughs> I can say that because I am that. So that's okay. But what do we do with the life God has given us? How do we live this thing? And how do we know we've done it right? How do we know that when we get to the end of this thing, God's like... Atta boy, atta girl. Yes, you did it. You were doing the things. Yeah. How do we get there? And so we're going to look at a passage. It's in Matthew chapter 25. So if you've got a Bible, it's the first book of your New Testament. Um, go ahead and pull out your phone. And as you're Googling it or you're old school and flipping through the actual book, uh, I want to set the context for you. Um, Matthew's gospel, uh, the good news of Jesus. It's the story of Jesus's life and Matthew is telling it. Jesus comes to this point where he's on the Mount of Olives and he gives a teaching. He's, he's sharing parables or stories, if you will. And uh, if you grew up in church, you may have heard the Olivet Discourse. That, that's what this section is. And we're gonna look at one specific teaching kind of nestled in between a bigger teaching. But he's telling the disciples, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And furthermore, he says, hey, we, I, I've taught you these things. I've shown you these things. You've watched the miracles that I've done. We're getting to the point where I am now going to die for the sins of humanity. I will conquer death. I will resurrect. I will ascend into heaven. But he says this as well. He says, but I will come back. And so this passage answers that question, what should we do while we're waiting for him to come back? So with all that as the context, um, Matthew 25, verse 14 that's where we're going to pick it up. Um, okay, one last caveat. Um, type B personality. This is a very challenging passage. This is a very challenging passage. So um, if you're looking for like the high five and the hug and like, you know, attaboy, grace abounds, Jesus, this is going to be a little different, okay? So this is challenging. Uh, don't get mad at the messenger. Just, this is the message, okay? So we, we've all been warned, fair warning. We're all good? Okay, all right, here we go. Are you ready? Okay, verse 14, here we go. Again, it will be like a man, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and, what's that word? Entrusted. And did what? Entrusted. Entrusted, it's very important that we know that word. Entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another he gave two, and to another one, one bag. Each according to his ability. Everyone say ability. ability. We all know this, but I have to say it. You and I all have a different abilities, don't we? We just have different abilities. Some of us are great in one area and we're terrible in another and vice versa. The idea is this, we all have abilities that God has given us. That's great. These people, it was not a matter of, of self-worth. It was, you have this ability for five bags. If, if Jesus were to give, or the master were to give uh, the, the servant with one bag of gold, five bags of gold, it would be overwhelming. Do you know what I mean? Like he would just be crushed under the weight of the pressure and just, ah, I don't have the ability to do this. So he, he, he puts it out there, each according to their ability. Very important. 
Okay, keep going. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the man with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag, he went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Get the idea? The guy who had five doubled it, had five more, which means he had 10. Good math. The one with two doubled it, which means he had And the one that had one did nothing. Dug a hole. Put that thing in the ground. Verse 19, after a long time, remember, Jesus is answering the question, what do we do while you're gone? He's saying, it's going to be a long time. After a long time, the master of those servants returned, and here's the deal, settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you, there's our word. What is it? Yeah, okay, good. You entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. A lot of us have heard that phrase before. It comes from this story right here. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Awesome. Keep going. 22. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's, what? You get the idea that the reward for doing good work is more good work to do. What's the kingdom of God like? It's like someone who uh, was entrusted with a lot of money. It's like someone who's entrusted with a lot of possessions. It's like someone that was entrusted with something very important and they handled it so well that the master said, here, here's some more. Congratulations, increase. You got more things to take care of, more things to invest. This is how God's economy works. Here we go, verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man or a a demanding man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. See, the master has an eye for business. He's so good, so fruitful, so profitable that he is gathering, he's increased in areas that he hasn't even ventured into. That's how powerful, that's how strong, that's how discerning, that's how wise, that's how abundant this master is. Verse 25, so I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Interestingly enough, the first two, the five bag and the two bag of gold, they were faithful with the gold. They were faithful with what the master had given them. And the one bag of gold servant, well, he was fearful. Faithful has this increase, um, this growth. Fearfulness, well, fearfulness leads to nothing. <laughs> I don't know how, how else to say it. It's just you dig, it in, dig a hole and bury it, and then there it is. And what happens? Just nothing. It just, like what I'm doing right now, I'm doing nothing right now. And you're like, come on, hurry up. We got lunch. I just want you to experience the nothingness, you know? (laughs) Faithfulness, increase, more, progress. Fearfulness, nothing. Verse 25, or I'm sorry, verse 28. Nope, verse 26. (laughs) I'll get there soon enough. (laughs) 
Woo, here we go. Verse 26, his master replied. This is strong. He said, you wicked, lazy servant. This doesn't sound very Jesus-like. Where's the group hug? They're like, ah, it's all right. I forgive you. We'll try again tomorrow. That's not here. That's not here at all. This is, um, you get the idea that the master gave entrusted, gave the servant money and, and a task and a job to do. And by not doing that, that according to this master is wicked and it's lazy. Keep reading. You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. It's like the bare minimum requirement was just give it to the bank. At least you'd get something out of it. That's the least amount of work. This guy did less than the least amount of work. (laughs) Nothing. And nothing happens. 28. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one that has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. So you have to understand, this is not a parable that is pro-capitalism. Okay, this is not how God's economy works. He's not into like the rich getting richer and the poor getting poor. That's not his MO. So that means there's something deeper going on. This is how you and I ought to live our lives in God's kingdom. The ones that are being fruitful and doing things, God will give more responsibility to so they can be fruitful and multiply and continue to invest and grow those areas of the kingdom of God. And the ones that are being unproductive and doing nothing, well, they will continue to do nothing. That, that's how it works here. And verse 30, here it is. This is the hard one right here, verse 30. And throw that worthless servant, what good is a servant that doesn't serve? Nothing. Worthless. Throw that servant outside into the darkness, which is imagery of hell, a place that is absent of God, where there will be weeping, right? This is emotional pain, emotional hurt. This is crying and gnashing of teeth representing physical pain. Why would those be the realities when you're outside of God's presence and his goodness? Because you're outside of God's presence and goodness. And this, I don't read this so much as a punishment. I read this as more um, calling a spade a spade. You claim to be a servant, but you're not serving the master. Are you really a servant? A servant's job is to serve. That's what servants do, and if you don't do one, why would you be a servant? You get the idea. But, but this is tough. This is, again, this is Jesus saying, um, we're going to talk about not so much love, forgiveness, grace, and mercy. We're going to talk about faithfulness, obedience, and accountability. If you claim to be something, you, your life needs to actually represent that. That's integrity. Get where we're going. Those of us who claim to be Christians, we ought to... Be little Christs, that's what that word means. Those of us who claim that we follow Jesus, our life needs to look like Jesus's life because we're following in his footsteps. Those of us that believe in the love, the grace, mercy, the kingship of Jesus Christ, our life should reflect those things. And if it doesn't, let's just call a spade a spade. Because, because a servant that doesn't serve is, is worthless. A Christian that doesn't follow Jesus Are you really a Christian? Because Christians follow Jesus. You realize uh, if you were here um, a couple series ago, we walked through the book of 1 John and we said that, and John said that God is light. In him, there is no darkness. 
So to be Christians is to, to be in the light, is to be commune, connected, communing with God. If we don't want that or, and we're living in darkness, what can darkness, how can darkness live in light? It, it can't. There's this separation here. This is a tough and a challenging parable, not just for the disciples and the original hearers, but for us, for me, today as we read this thing. So what do we do with this parable? How do we answer this question? What does God want me to do with my life? I think we have to start here. We'll put it on the screen. We have to understand that everything belongs to God. Everything, 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 all the things. It's, uh, <laughs> it's the story of, uh, <laughs> I forget the author's name. I'm laughing because I think it's really funny. Uh, th- there's this author and he writes a story in one of his books and he says um, that, that there's this pastor, really influential pastor, this, built this great church, bought a huge like, plot of land and finally they finished the building project. They, they built the whole church campus out. And so they threw this huge party and the pastor's up there on stage like, man, look what God has done. Look at all the things that God did. Look what God built. Look how God is moving amongst the people. Look at everything that God did. And you gotta know this, right? Anytime a church is doing a building campaign, there are people that, um, usually business people, men and women, that have been just very successful with business and they, they have a product or a service that they've brought to the industry and the industry has responded by paying for it because it's been very beneficial. So they've done very well with money. And inevitably, pastors will talk with those people. God will talk to those people. Those people will talk with pastors and there will be checks that are written. Are you with me? Okay, this is how a lot of this stuff works. And so the pastor's saying, look, how, look what God has built. Look at all the great things God has built. And the, the business person is like, you know, I helped. <laughs> if anyone's cynical like I am, this will hopefully help you. Uh, and he goes, no, 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 no. I mean, look what God has done. Do you know how many zeros it took for, for God to build this thing? Look, look what he has done. And again, the business person's like, I mean, you know, I, I wrote a check, a couple of them with a couple zeros. Like I kind of helped too. And he goes, no, 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 no. You don't get it. Like, look, just look, look at everything. Look what God has built. And the pastor goes, or I'm sorry, the business person goes, well, you weren't talking about all that stuff when you asked me specifically to write a check. So what's going on? Then the pastor goes, no, 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 no. Um, look what God has built with his money. Look what God has built on top of his ground. Look at the air that you have breathed, which is not your own, to go and live. Look at the mind that you used, which is God's that he gave to you so that you could start the business, so that you could get his money, so that you could write his checks to his purposes, to his buildings, to his locations, to all of his things. Amen. To which the, bur- the business person goes, look what God has done. <laughs> I, I share this story simply because if you're like me and a little cynical, I go, everything belongs to God, but this is my life. And the reality is, this is not my life. This is a thing I call my life, but the reality is it is not my life because my life belongs to God. So I am a steward of of this body, of of this time, my voice, what what I do. I'm not mine, I'm his. And if, if I am his and he is the master, that means that I am the servant. If he is the king, then I am the peasant. If he is in control, then I am at his mercy. Everything belongs to God. 
This is really important. We have to understand this. Number two, God has expectations of us with what he's entrusted to us. And I know it sounds clunky, but I like it that way. God has expectations to us or of us with what he's entrusted to us. Because again, none of it is ours. It's all his. So he has entrusted us with things. Let me give you a list of some of the things that God has entrusted us with. By the way, we trust God to do a lot of things for us, to love us, forgive us of our sins, help us out when we're in a difficult spot. Flip that. And God goes, now that I've done those things for you, I'm actually entrusting a couple things for you to follow through on. Here we go. Some of the things he's entrusted you to, um, a, a life just in general, right? He's given us a body. How are we being good stewards of our body? He's given us a mind. Listen, some of you, you have wonderful and amazing ideas. God has given you the gift of creativity. You have vision, you can see things and you have an opportunity and a product or an idea, a movement, whatever, that's going to go and help love people and spread the gospel. You need to use your mind. You need to get that up and running. Some of us, our family, right? God said, I've given you this family. Here you go. Time, quick note on time. We have enough time to do the things we need to do. If God thought that we needed more than 24 hours, guess what? We'd have it. Time, money, your home, your home. What are you doing with your home? He's given us health. And obviously he's given us Jesus and the gospel. He said, I'm going to entrust my son to you or the message of my son. What are you doing with it? Other things that we don't think about, tragedy and loss, suffering and pain. Listen, some of us have experienced financial loss and even bankruptcy. And I'm not saying that God caused that for you, but I am saying that is an experience that brought up emotions, that brought up pain, that brought up suffering. And he's entrusting you to do something with that because, because there are other people that will experience that or have experienced that. And they need to see God amongst that whole situation. Amen. Same thing goes with the loss of a home, the loss of a loved one. Some of you, you've experienced divorce, family drama. Can we just acknowledge real quick that no one's family is perfect? Amen. Can we also acknowledge that uh, marriage is really difficult? Also one of the most rewarding things, but, but difficult. Are, are you with me? Like this is super, super important. And, and this happens even in the church, even in our church. And there's stories there of healing. There are lessons learned that God has said, you know, this wasn't, I, I didn't dream this for you, but this is your reality. So here, here's how I want to redeem this. Here's how I want to work through this. Here's how I want you to use this to go and love and reach other people and tell them about my goodness. The loss of a baby. How about moving multiple times? Maybe related to this. Maybe you have a son or a daughter who's walked away from God. Maybe they've come back. Maybe they haven't. And God's saying, look, I, I, you know, I don't want tragedy to happen to you, but the reality is it, it will. And God is saying, I've entrusted you to do something with this because I have given you life. And this is part of it. Both columns as life. What are you doing with it? I'll give you the third point because we got to keep going. Number three, if you're faithful with a few things, he'll give you more. If you're faithful with a few things, he'll give you more. Now, again, 
This is not one of those, Lord, I've been faithful with the budget this month. Woo! I'm trusting you. Name it and claim it. Checks in the mail, baby. Maybe. And Lord, if you're interested, you know, consider your servant Steve, you know. Um, maybe. Maybe not. But what I meant, even, even this, um, those of you who've experienced tragedy, and you've used that, and you've seen God redeem it, and you've used it to bless other people, don't be surprised if something else tragic happens in your life. Because God is going, I can trust you with this. And I know it's tragic for you, but life isn't all about you. There's other people who are experiencing this or who will experience it soon. And they need someone, listen, they need someone who can walk them through that and point them to me. Not everything in this world is about us. We are not the most important thing on earth. It is God and it is his kingdom. And everything that we have that we steward is a gift. And if we're faithful with it, he's going to give us more. Um, I, I, I kind of want to, here's how I want to wrap up and just kind of land the plane. Um, what does God want me to do with the life that he's entrusted me? I, probably we could just say it this way. He wants you to invest it in other people so that the kingdom of God will increase. That's ultimately what this parable is about. He's talking to his disciples and he says, I'm, I'm going to leave, but I'm coming back. But I have given you each according to your ability. So don't, don't be freaked out. Don't get super anxious wondering, you know, can I handle this? Yes, you can. He's divvied it up. He knows you very well. And he said, not, I'm not only entrusting you with this, but you can actually do this. You, you can do this thing. He said, while I'm away, I want you to manage this. You have people you need to reach that only you can reach because only you have experienced what you've experienced and nobody else has experienced that. Listen, you are the right person for the job. The right time is now. You don't need to wait anything. You don't have to ask, God, should I do this? Should I move? Should I talk with this person? Should we do these things? Should I share this story? Yes, go, go do it. This is what we should do. Now, here's the deal. There are so many ways. If I were to go around the room and ask each person individually, how would you carry this out? We'd probably all have different answers and they're all right and good. Here's what I am gonna suggest. I'm gonna suggest that we all do one thing with our lives because if we do this one thing, I think the implications are massive. And here's what I suggest we all need to do. We all need to join a small group. Here's why. Here's why. Um, a lot, of, a lot of pushback that I get, and I love it, is uh, I already have a really tight-knit group of friends. I've lived in Linda my whole life, so we know each other. And not only that, I have family, generations. We're tight. Here's what I know about family, that you don't always share all the things you need to share with your family. <laughs> Here's what I know about your friends as well. Uh, we are all there for one another when something happens. What I'm saying is all of these things are good and I wouldn't dare change it. But this is more set up for reactionary. For when life happens, I have people I can go to. Most Christians that I know do not have an intentional plan for spiritual growth and transformation. It's more uh, random or um, if something happens, then I can go to it and get help. What I'm saying with small groups is that you have an intentional plan of spiritual growth and transformation. Because 
Spiritual growth and transformation is not just limited to Bible reading and prayer. You can do that on your own. The loving one another, forgiving one another, bearing one another's sins, you have to have a one another to do that. You need a small group. This is how we train for this stuff. Because, listen, Jesus is coming back. And he's going to look at us and he's going to ask each and every one of us the question, what did you do with the life I gave you? And for me, for me, I want to answer and say, I probably didn't do the best I could, but at least I set aside one evening a week, an hour and a half dedicated to sharing life with other brothers and sisters in Christ, where we shared what was going on, our strengths and weaknesses and everything in between. We talked about what the church talked about on Sunday morning so we could be united together. We talked about how we need to grow in these areas. We encouraged each other to grow. We also had some tough conversations. I had people ask me, Steve, how come you've known so-and-so for four years and you haven't even talked to them about Jesus? What are you waiting for? I promise you, your group of friends or your tight family, those conversations don't happen as often as they should. Every week, I'm trying to get with people and say, how can we do this thing better? Because there are lost people that need Jesus. And I need to learn how to reach them. Because they're living in darkness with the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. And when Jesus comes back, I want to say, I was training. I was trying to grow. I was being intentional with some time where I met with other people. And we prayed for people who didn't know your son, Jesus, God. And I I know you love me. And so it's not a, a, a guilt and shame thing. It's just, I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. And for me, I don't know a better tool or way to do this outside of small groups, which is probably why I'll talk about this forever. If there is a tool and you do it and you know it, would you share it with me? I want to know. But I'm just saying, if we were to take a poll, I bet the vast majority of Christians don't have an intentional plan. They have a plan where if something happens, they have people they can go to. And I'm telling you, that's not enough. We must be intentional with the gospel message. Jesus is going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? Some of you, you're extroverts, you have greater capacity for people, you probably have the five bags of gold. Some of you, introverted, you're terrified of of large groups of people, you got the one bag of gold. Jesus is gonna say, what did you do with the one bag of gold? What'd you do? Was there increase? Did you share the gospel with anybody? Did you pray for anyone? Did you bear one another's burdens? Did you help forgive one another? Did people call you out and say, you need to forgive that person? This is how this works because there is a world that does not know Jesus and desperately, desperately needs to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Small groups, as I know them, are an intentional way, not just for us to grow, but for us to figure out how to share the gospel with other people. And maybe those other people are in your family and in your circle of friends. Sarah and I are going to be out in the commons right outside those double doors at the end of this service. We would love to talk with you and get you signed up and figure out how to get you in a group. They start this week. Those of you online, can you just email me, steve.osborne at nctk. You'll be in my inbox. I'll find you. We'll get back to you. We'll set them up online or get you plugged in here in person. I don't know about you. At the end of my life, when Jesus comes back, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So God, that's the heart of your church. It's it's not even ours. 
God, for the people that are on the fence and they're hesitant, Lord, I pray in the most loving and gracious way, would your Holy Spirit knock them off the fence? Would they decide that the time is in fact now? And would, Father, would, would they understand that they need growth and that you've entrusted them with some experiences, just, I mean, the good stuff and the bad stuff. And that is to be invested, that is to be used to reach other people. So Father, would you give us names? Would you give us faces? Maybe it's coworkers or family or friends or, I don't know, God, but you do. And God, when we meet in small groups and in community, as we open up your scripture, as we pray for one another, as we ask your Holy Spirit to guide our lives, those names and faces, Lord, would we start formulating plans? Would we have opportunities to talk with them? God, give us ways to invite people to church, whether it could be watching a sermon online or coming into the building or whatever, God, whatever you need us to do to share the gospel, to expand the kingdom and to radically transform lives. I pray, Lord, that you would use this church and so many people because of this place would come out of darkness and that you would look at us. You would say, well done, good and faithful church. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Would you stand with me and sing? We're gonna respond with one last song.